from my youth pastor. So my youth pastor growing up, they moved about 15, 20 years ago to a little town called Claremore, Oklahoma, and they planted a church. And he's probably one of, there's a list of people that have impacted my life in ministry, and he's definitely at the top of that list. Um, partly because I was the hardest teenager that ever walked the earth. And the fact that he didn't quit ministry after me is huge, right? And so um, he called and said, we're having a women's conference and we want you to come speak at it. And I'm like, really? I would, I would love to. So I flew out, but I made sure I was early enough to get to sit in service with him and hear him preach. And it was so cool that all these years later, it's like he's the same person. And I'm looking around this, this church full of people and I'm realizing how blessed they are to have him speaking into their life like he spoke into mine for all those years. And he was in this really cool series and while he was preaching, he was, ta he was talking about something totally different, but he referenced um, a place in the Bible with the lady by the name of Hagar. And he talked about how Hagar gave God the name that meant the God who sees me. And it was so good, I cried, like ugly cried, because it was just a precious moment for me. And we had a great weekend, and then I got on a plane the next day in time to get back here um, for our service Monday night. And while I was on the plane, I have a story, y'all wanna hear a story? You're not gonna tell me, no, I have the microphone, like what are you gonna do? <laughs> no, well guess what, you're gonna hear it anyway, you know? So, um, I love to people watch, not in judgment, please know that. Like I, that is just, I don't even have, people are like, you're so funny. I don't have jokes, I just pay attention. If y'all would pay attention, you would have the same kind of stories that I have. And so I love airports and I love to travel by myself, but I like to watch people in places like Miami and Denver and Chicago. Tulsa is the belt buckle of the Bible belt. So there's like nothing really exciting happening in the Tulsa airport. So I'm, but I am always aware of who's on the plane with me, right? I've watched too many crime shows. I'm like, who's gonna be the one? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm watching everybody and I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a great flight, whatever. And I go to get on the plane and y'all, this is the smallest plane I've ever been on in my life. And there was a whole bunch of us gonna get on it. And I'm like, hmm, this doesn't look good. So I board, there's, let me give you perspective. There's no overhead compartment. So which made me giggle, cause I have this whole thing about trying to take everything with you on the plane. Just check it and enjoy your time in the airport, please. You know, so there's like 20 of these jokers with their, their suitcase and there's nowhere to put it because there's no overhead compartment. There was one little one, but it'll hold like your wallet, right? Like not your suitcase. <laughs> So they're all standing in line having to check it at the gate. Not me, I just walked right on, got onto my, and got, went to my spot. And I'm like, this is a little bitty plane. And here comes this man. I need you, I need you guys to get this visual. He's probably six, eight, and he's not skinny. <laughs> and he's coming down the aisle and I'm like, this joker's gonna sit right next to me. And he's looking at his ticket and he's looking at these little things, but he can't stand up because it's a little play. So he's doing this and he's walking through and I'm like, oh, oh, and he comes up and he goes, that's my spot. And I didn't know what to do. So I just laughed. I was like, of course it is. So I get up and he gets in there and he goes, I've never flown on a plane this small. I was just excited to see how are you going to get in that chair? And I'm 
watching and his knees are up like this. He's like, I can't breathe. And I'm like, do you want to switch spots? That won't help. I'm like, I'm sorry. And so he buckles up. His knees are up like this and he's like Darth Vader breathing, right? And he's talking about how they should make planes for people his size, not people who are 5'3". I said, I'm 5'3". He goes, exactly. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to help you out here. I don't know what you want. And so we're joking and everything about his situation. And I see this other lady walking on. I had watched her in the airport. Little bitty thing, like maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. But she had this baby. And I don't know how old he was, but when he was walking around, he was walking kind of like... He was drunk, something can probably like, he was just learning to walk. You know what I'm talking about? Where they're just stumbling, like you're, he's going down. Oh, nope, nope, okay, oh, whoop, there, fell. Gets back up. 12 months to 18 months, but he was a big old boy. And it made me giggle because it made me think of Jack, Pastor Randy and Pastor Darla's grandson. Like, that kid is stout, and his mom is little. So I'm watching, and I'm like, this must be what it's like for Scylla and Jack, you know? So like, she, this mom is holding onto this baby. He does not want to be on this plane. He does not, and he's letting everybody know. He is screaming at the top of his lungs. She's holding this monstrosity of a diaper bag, which is not going to fit in the overhead compartment, <laughs> and a sippy cup, and this baby, who wants down, but he can't walk very good, so she's holding on to him, and I'm watching her, and this child is screaming bloody murder. So is the guy next to me. <laughs> and so... She's ever what I'm watching as she's coming is everybody is looking away, roll like ugh, sighing, upset, like she can control this. And she comes to the back. Now, mamas, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. That diaper bag had a bunch of compartments. What holds those compartments together? Velcro, that's right. You know what Velcro's not good for? Curly hair. I'm sitting next to Complaining McGee right here, and she is going to be right behind me, and she's trying to get in with that baby, and she swings, and that, vel that, that diaper bag hits me in the head, and that Velcro attaches to this part of my head, and it didn't just attach. It was holding on like a hair in a biscuit. It wasn't going anywhere. And it's got, and I'm like, she's pulling. She thinks it's stuck on something. It is, but it's a human. And she's pulling. She can't help, hear me go, stop, hey, hey, because her baby's like, you know, and he's grunting. So like, there's all this weird noise happening. So I try to stand up. Oh, wait, my seatbelt's on. It throws me right back. They work. Good. Take it off. I stand up. And when I stood up, it startled her. So I had pulled, y'all, I had to pull it off of my head. And so when I did that, it startled her. So she looks at me like I'm, I don't know if she thought I was going to fight her. Like, I don't know what she thought. But she just looks at me and she's got this diaper bag with my hair hanging from it. <laughs> and I said, let, let me help you. And so she's just like, oh. and she hands me the diaper bag and the sippy cups. So I'm kind of nonchalantly pulling my hair out of the Velcro <laughs> as she's trying to situate this future football player into this seat. And I just said, hey, can I tell you something? I said, don't worry about these people. Don't worry about this baby. I, I can't speak for everybody on this plane, but I'll tell you, I've been where you're at and it's going to be okay. Like, just breathe. It's okay. And I promise you, there's a bunch of people on this plane 
that what you think was looks of disgust was looks of sympathy because we've been there, you're okay. And I said, it's gonna be a good flight. And then, oh boy, next to me, he's like, no, it won't. I'm like, will you shut up? Stop, stop. And so she gets situated, and then the flight attendant, I didn't even tell this first service, the flight attendant comes by, she's like, sir, I need to see your seatbelt. He goes, I can't get to it to show you. And she said, I, sir, regulation is I have to see. So I had to get up so she could verify that he had a seatbelt on. And as she walked away, I said, can I tell you something funny? And he said, yeah. I said, if this plane goes down, you're not moving out of that seat, seatbelt or not. I said, you're stuck like Chuck. And he started laughing and then he couldn't breathe. I was like, calm down. So we get up in the sky and that baby behind me is sound asleep. Everything's good. He's calmed down in a really awkward, I'm thinking he needs a chiropractor really bad after this flight. And I dozed off. And I guess, I don't know what happened. You can say, what happened? I don't know, I was asleep. But when the plane landed, all of a sudden, as soon as it hit the runway, they throw on the brakes harder than I've ever experienced. I flew forward, hit my head on the seat in front of me. I had this big red mark. And he goes, pretzel boy goes, <laughs> we've landed. <laughs> you think? So I'm just, I'm like, thank you, Lord. I'm back in Texas. Get up to help her. He still sleeps. So now she's got this sack of potatoes she's throwing over her shoulder. And, and she looks at me, and I just am like, this, nobody's going to believe this story. They're, this is, they're not going to ever believe this. And she looked at me and she said, hey, thank you for seeing me. And I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> and then, I'd like to say I was such a good Christian in this moment. I just stopped to watch him try to get out because it was worth it. I just needed to see it. And he's like, are you enjoying the show? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And so I thought about that over the course of the next couple days. And, and I thought about what she said. And I went back to what my youth pastor said about Hagar. So I looked it up just to refresh my memory. I want to share that with you guys today. In Genesis chapter 16, Verses one through five, what we've got here is, well, actually up to this point, God has already made this covenant with Abraham. Abram, at this point is Abram, okay? He's made this covenant with Abram. You will be the father of many nations. This covenant has happened, has been spoken from God multiple times. But Sari, who later is known as Sarah, is not producing kids. And so we get to chapter 16 and she's disgruntled. She's frustrated so she says to Abram, this isn't working. I cannot have a baby. Take my servant, my Egyptian servant girl, have a baby with her. Now, what we know about Hagar is because she was an Egyptian servant. She comes from a land where there were many gods. And there was lots of ritualistic worship. But no doubt, because she is now a servant in a Jewish, in an Israeli God-fearing community, she is being exposed to the stories and the beliefs of the living God. And so she's there. I want you to understand, she has no choice in this matter. She's not like, yeah, sure, we'll have a kid. Take me on a couple dates, see how it works out. Like she has no options here. And so Sari tells Abram, take her. And y'all, he does it. <laughs> it's like, dude, you are not thinking. That was not smart, but he did. 
And so when he did and she gets pregnant, because the Bible says she had no choice in the matter, but she recognized what she didn't have control of, the one who made her do this couldn't have a kid. And so she kind of grew kind of snarky. She had contempt. She was like, when made sorry, angry. And so she starts treating her horribly. And Hagar can't handle it anymore. And so she runs away. And that's where we're gonna pick up in verse seven. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, sorry servant. Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, sorry says. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as an untamed as a wild donkey. Isn't that like most middle school boys? Okay. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? You know what's super fascinating to me? This angel just told her, your son's gonna be buck wild. He ain't gonna have any friends. Everybody in the family's gonna hate him. She didn't hear the result of sin that happened. Are you hearing me? Like there was consequences to what happened there. And if I had time, we'd go into the whole thing of Ishmael, the descendants, that's where Muslim, the Muslim faith came from, blah, 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 blah. We're not gonna go there right now. What I think is interesting is every time you see in the Old Testament when somebody has a major encounter with God, they give him a name. And here's a little girl that something happened to outside of her plan. And all, she wasn't focused on, great, I'm gonna have the wild child. She said, you see me. Wait a minute, you're the, you're the God who sees me. We of all have mixed reactions when it comes to being seen. Little kids love to be seen. They love to perform. They love, like if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. They learn to do a trick. They wanna do it like 50,000 times and they want you to act the same way every time. They tell a joke. It's not funny, but you have to laugh every time. When we were little, my sisters and I, we would put on performances for my parents and we would make them sit and they would, they hated it. I know they did. But we sang and we were not good singers. You know, all the, Kids like to be seen. And you know what? If they're not being seen for the positive, they'll do something bad to get your attention. So I'm gonna tell you right now, if a kid's acting up a lot and it's your child, stop and go, hey, am I spending time with my kids? Am I, am I encouraging them? Or are they having to act like they've lost their mind just to get my attention? Maybe it's not all on them. Maybe I need to take some ownership here. Thank you for that in the back. There you go. They're like, yes, it's a kid. Yes, mom, she's talking to you. Go ahead, girl. No. <laughs> so we know we all have different feelings and emotions about being seen. And then when we become adults, it's not that we don't like to be seen, but we don't want everything seen. Like I'll be the first to admit, I hate when my hair and makeup's done and I go to the store, I don't run anybody. 
And then I look like a homeless person and I run into everybody I know. They're like, are you okay? Can we pray? Do you need us to buy what's in your car? Is it hard? Is life okay? I'm like, no, it's not okay. Sure, you can pay for it if you want to. No, I'm just kidding. We don't like that. So we have these different feelings. And so today, what I really feel like the Lord's put on my heart because it's been in my face the last week and a half is the God that sees you, that you are seen. All of you, all parts of you, the good, bad, and ugly. You're like, I don't like that. Well, we're gonna get there. First thing I wanna point out today is God sees the one that no one else is looking at. The Hagars, the slaves, the foreigner, the outcast, the broken, the bitter, the one engulfed in sin. Can I say something to make you uncomfortable? The ones you're not looking at. See, here's the cool thing about our God is he doesn't look at people the way we look at them. And I'm so thankful he doesn't look at people the way I do. And I don't feel like I'm the most judgmental person, but like we, y'all, let's, let's put our self-righteousness down on the table and let's talk about it for a minute. We do that, right? We like to judge people who sin differently than us. And so when there's something about us we don't like, we find some, something in somebody else that's worse and we focus on that. It's like, oh, hmm, hmm. Y'all stand out in the foyer. Welcome, welcome, glad you're here. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm your Instagram friend. You need to be here today. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us that way? Because I'm gonna be honest with you, we put on our best for church, but what about the other six days of the week? That the God who sees you all the time, the God that sees me all the time when I'm on and when I'm not, he sees me in the best and the worst. What does he see? What does he think? What does he feel? What are his thoughts about me? What are his thoughts about you? Jump to John. We're gonna look at a guy named Simon. John 1 Verse 40 and 40 through 42, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Check this out. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So what do we know about Peter at this point? It's like, so what? Jesus saw him and gave him a new name. Woo. What do we know about Peter? We know this. We know that Peter is a Jew. We also know that he's a fisherman. So what does that mean? Well, that means at his age as a fisherman, one of two things happened. All Jewish boys, when they were little, learned, memorized, knew the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, had it memorized. And then they came to an age where they had to decide, do I want to continue studying, learning, or do I want to join the family business? And many who wanted to continue to study and learn actually were rejected by a rabbi and ended up in the family business anyway. So which of the two was it? Probably at the age that he could go to the family, he did. But nevertheless, we know that he wasn't one of the chosen. Are you following me? 
And so Jesus looks at him. He is a rabbi, the most respected position in Jewish culture. This rabbi looks at Peter and says, or looks at Simon and says, I'm giving you a new name. I'm gonna call you something different than what you've been called. He didn't glance at him. He didn't pass him by. He gazed into his eyes and spoke this into his life. Jump to Luke 5, jump back. Luke 5, verses one through eight. I love this story. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Then he had finished speaking and he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let my nets out again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partner in and the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. I want you to think about this for a second. There is a crowd on the bank and they're watching and Jesus steps into the boat and then he tells him to take it out further. Now, everything that's not working in Peter's life is exposed. Are you following me? Like he was a fisherman, he couldn't catch fish and now Jesus is gonna make me do this in front of all these people so they can see what's not working in my life. I don't want that to be seen. I was minding my own business and now I'm fully exposed to a crowd on a shoreline and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And then he almost sinks the boat because there's so many fish. Like, why is that significant? Peter realizes, oh, this just isn't a rabbi. And he falls to his knees and he repents my second thing I want you to get is, it is easy to accept being seen when we get to decide what is exposed. Sure, you can, you can come to my house, hang up, kids, clean, now, everybody, everybody. And you're like, they're like, what's going on? You're like, it's a dog, throw it outside. It's, it's dad, throw him outside too, I don't know. Like, let's clean, you know. We don't want people to see everything. We want this HGTV filtered life we don't want people to know what we're struggling with. We don't want people to know that we deal with addiction. We don't want people to know that we deal with fear. We don't want people to know that we deal with depression. We don't want that exposed. And when we can, we can control what people see, we feel like we're in control. But I'm gonna tell you something, when God gets involved, you don't get to control what he sees because he already sees it whether you get him involved or not. He already knows. He knows everything. And yet he chooses to work through what's not working in your life so who he is can show up big. Verse nine. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, 
don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. He didn't say, okay, that worked out great. So let me get my affairs in order. Let me get things worked out at home. The Bible says as soon as they got to shore, he dropped everything and followed him. Why? Because the reality of being seen by somebody who doesn't just see you, they get you, they created you, they made you, they purposed you, changes the way you do things. It changes the way you approach life. And I think our problem is we get too comfortable putting on our good clothes, coming to church. We come in here, you may or may not even know anybody around you. You go to lunch, you go do your life. The reality is, guys, what God has for you is more than a Sunday morning. And what he wants to do in your life is more than a daily devotion. He wants you to know he sees everything. He sees all of you. My next point is he sees us as what we are called to, not what we are. We see examples all through the Bible where God, where Jesus encounters these people in the midst of their sin. And he doesn't call them disgusting. He doesn't call them gross. He doesn't judge them. He looks at them. He addresses it and he calls them to something greater. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the woman caught in adultery. And the list goes on and on. He says, look, I see what you're going through. Guess what? You don't freak me out. You don't intimidate me. I'm not scared of you. I'm not, I'm not lost with my words. I've got something better. It, it took me to a place in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, there's a story of this guy. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and this young, rich ruler comes running after him and he says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he actually, he says, he called him, he called him good teacher. And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? The only thing good is God. But since you asked, here's what you got to do. In verse 19, he says, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. The man said, teacher, teacher. Check, 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 and check. On the surface, in front of everybody, he looked like a good guy. He had it going on. How many of us do that in our own lives? Well, I'm at church every Sunday. I'm doing this, doing this. And instead of letting God work on what we know he wants to work on, we put the what we've already done in the front and go, but, 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 let's, can we talk about this? I'm doing these things. And this is what I love in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus stops and he looks at this guy with complete compassion and love. And he said, okay, there's one thing else that you need to do. I want you to sell everything you got and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that the man hung his head and walked away sadly. Now I want you to understand that is not Jesus saying, hey, you shouldn't have money. Jesus wasn't looking at the success of the man. He was looking at the heart of the man. Please hear me on this. God makes you successful so you can do things in this world, okay? Not so you can sit on it and be like, look what I got. This is not middle school. This is not king of the hill. 
okay? We're blessed to be a blessing. This is not about it's bad if you have money. It's bad if money has you. And it's bad if we can't say, God, whatever I have, you gave to me and I'll do whatever you want me to do with it. And if God asks you to do something, not somebody else, but God, God puts it on your heart and confirms it in your heart and you move on that, God's gonna take care of you. I need you to get that. People mis- misconstrue this verse all the time and then they are like, everybody in the church, go sell it all and bring it us to the church. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is don't let anything in your life, people, stuff, be bigger than what God's asking you to do. Okay, that's a side note. Anyway, then in verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around at his disciples. Here's what I love. One translation says, he gazed intently. He looked at them. You ever have those moments with your kids when something's crazy happening and you're watching how they're watching? You're like, hmm, this is gonna, how am I gonna explain this? And you're watching, and you're like, ooh, Jesus is watching their reaction. So he begins to say, so how how do we inherit eternal life? How does the rich inherit? And they begin to have a conversation. Jesus' posture goes to one of teaching and he begins to explain to them, this is what you have to do. And in verse 27, it says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with, with God. Everything is possible. On your own, on my own, we can't inherit eternal life. But when we submit and surrender to Jesus, all things are possible. On your own, you can't heal your marriage. On your own, you can't reach your kids. On your own, you can't fight the addiction. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter, here we go again. I love this dude. He's like, well, can I just tell you We did everything you said. We walked away from our families. We walked away from everything, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus goes, yeah, you're right, Peter. And that's gonna be restored. But I want you to understand something. You're also gonna go through persecution. And he ends that in verse 31. He says, and many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. After that, we watch Peter's life. This dude's crazy. He walks on water. He's in the garden and cuts the dude's ear off. Jesus is like, we didn't do, uh," puts it back on. At that last supper, Peter and Jesus, Peter and the disciples and Jesus are having a conversation. And you know, Peter's been like, hey, I wanna be your favorite. It's you and me, Jesus, against the world. And Jesus says, somebody's gonna deny me. Oh, not me. Not Peter, I won't do that. And Jesus said, actually, Peter, you'll deny me three times. Three times. After all that we've been through together, all the miracles you've seen me do, everything that you've encountered with me, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Peter's like, not a chance. And then the Bible says that after that third time he denied Jesus, he makes eye contact with Jesus and Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him. On the way to the cross, Jesus sees him. And Peter realized, and the Bible says he wept bitterly. After Jesus died and rose again, Jesus sees Peter. And Peter is restored. I want you to understand something that's so amazing to me about that. 
Peter was Simon from birth. Jesus looked at Peter and he saw Peter. Jesus looked at him and saw what he created him to be, not who he was. And he's still doing that with you and I. See, because the world wants to give you names, mistake, failure, been divorced too many times to count, can't stay in a relationship, can't keep a job, addict, loser, gossip, fearful. I could go on all day. We all have those names that have been given to us. And what we've done is we've allowed that to become part of our identity. I love Jesus, but I also, whoa, 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 whoa. He sees you. Jesus saw the calling in Peter before Peter even knew who Jesus was. He sees the calling in you. He sees the calling in me. And not just the good, okay? Let's get back to that uncomfortable part. The things that we don't want anybody to see. He sees that stuff too. He sees the stuff that we hope no one ever finds out about. Our deepest, darkest secrets. And you know what is so cool? He does not move. He is not moved. He is not shaken. He is not afraid. He is present because he knows where you're going if you'll let him take you there, not where you're stuck. So I think, no, I know that if you're one of the people in here that you're caught up in what's going wrong in everybody else's life, I would bet money if I was a betting woman, that's because you're not dealing with the junk in your own. The insecurities, the fear, the failure. Well, are you saying I'm in sin? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we all sin. But I am saying that if you're caught up in what's going wrong in everybody else's life, you're not, you may not be in sin, but you're not in the fullness of what God has. Maybe it's because you don't know he sees you. He sees you right now. Whether you're four years old or 404, he sees you. And if you've got blood pumping through your veins and oxygen in your lungs, he is not done with you. Today is your day to be seen, to be exposed, and to follow after him with everything in you. Bow your heads with me. Will you across the room? There's a lot to unpack. I wish we had all day and some fried chicken. We could hang out and it'd be the greatest day ever. But the first thing I want to ask, if you're in here right now and you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never surrendered your life to him. I'm not talking about you've been coming to church all your life. Okay, good for you. I'm saying you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made him Lord of your life. And you know you need to do that. I'm gonna ask that you raise your hand. I wanna pray with you. We wanna put a Bible in your hand. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Anybody in here? Okay. Now, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to their feet. And here's why. Again, you can say, you don't know my story. I don't have to know your story to know that you're human just like me. And I think that the one thing the enemy wants us to do is focus on what we don't want seen and not on who already sees it. So I'm gonna ask everybody, whether you're comfortable or not, you're like, I've never done that before. Now's your time. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and just raise both hands to heaven as a sign of surrender. I'm not a hand lifter, lady. That's okay. You're all right. You're not gonna die. It's all right. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Okay, fine. Sit there like a bump on a log. The rest of us, let's raise our hands. And I just want you to repeat after me. 
Pray this prayer to your creator because man, this is for you, Jesus. Thank you that you see me. Thank you that you've never taken your eyes off me. Everything that I love and everything that I'm embarrassed of, everything that I'm afraid of, every insecurity, you see it. Now, Jesus, I ask that despite me, you expose these things in my life and use me to be who you've called me to be. Help me to stop settling, hiding, justifying, or avoiding. I'm called today. I walk in the fullness today. Today, I drop my net and I follow you. I surrender completely, Lord. Help me to remember that I am seen and help me to see others the way you see them. In Jesus' precious, mighty name, amen. Amen, you guys, we have prayer team down here. Yeah, you guys give the Lord a hand. He's so good. He's so good. We have prayer team down here. If you need prayer, do not leave this place without getting it. The rest of you can go home, go to lunch, know that you're loved, and we will see you next weekend.